Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fairy Conclave. This is episode 66. I am one of your hosts, Alec. My pronouns are he, him, and we have a very special guest today. So please welcome Andrew, also known as MTG Mudsta. Welcome to the Fairy Conclave. Hey, my name is Andrew. My pronouns are he, him, and like Alec said, I, I do MTG Mudsta stuff. <laughs> yeah, I have been very much looking forward to this um, episode because I've been watching your YouTube channel for years, I think, at this point. It's been it's been around for a while, yeah. It's it started in I think over six years ago, maybe seven years ago. I think the channel I made it a while ago, but I think I've only been actually doing videos since I think twenty seventeen. I guess actually it's been like five years. <laughs> Oops. I love it. Yeah. When we shouted out your channel on a, I can't remember which episode it was, but we did a community spotlight on you. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And I mentioned that your commander gameplay videos are, they're just so smooth and very satisfying to watch. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think uh, at least your channel is the first one I saw that uh, had kind of like one person narrating everyone's thoughts and uh, kind of like moving through the game just as a narrator essentially and I thought that was really cool at the time and it kind of uh, I mean a lot of people yeah. misconstrue that my channel was the first to do it and I like I don't want to try I'm not trying to correct people but like there were mm. people who who I think did the groundwork for it which was like there was gameplays by Clonehead which unfortunately they've stopped doing games a long time ago and there was a I think it was called Top Deck Productions those okay. are the two channels that I really enjoyed because what got me into content creation was when I'd have to commute to work when I was working in a post-production uh, company. Uh, I'd take a bus and a metro, and the brevity of their videos were so appealing because it meant that, like, the 20-minute yeah. bus ride and the 20-minute metro ride, I could watch two games on my way to work and then two games on the way home. Which isn't to say that I don't like long-form games, but just at that period in my life, that's what I was, like, really, really into. And so that's what kind of inspired me to sort of do the, the more short-form abbreviated abridged kind of gameplays cool yeah that's that's fantastic i feel the same way i always watch commander gameplay videos when i'm doing dishes mm -hmm. and um and so that usually takes me 20 to 30 minutes so it's perfect to just like have one game start to finish uh mm -hmm. and and kind of get that that full experience so it's one of my favorite ways to enjoy commander content so thank you for making so much of it thank you for watching it yeah uh, yeah, and so we're going to be talking about one of Andrew's Commander decks today. Uh, but before we get into it, we want to do our community spotlight for the episode. So for today's episode, we're going to shout out the Elder Dragon Hijinks series, which is on um, Alias V's YouTube channel, and it's also hosted by Olivia Gobert-Hicks. Um, and they have incredible, fantastic guests uh, to fill the other two spots for Commander gameplay. And yeah, and I've been really enjoying it lately. They have fantastic people on. The chemistry they get going in the channel is really, really great. And the editing is really nicely done. And if people are interested, I think Alias V actually streams on Twitch as she's editing. So if you ever really want to get kind of mm. like that behind the scenes look on stuff, you can check out her stream. And she, uh, she does a great job of not only working and editing, but also engaging with her viewership, which I think is just insane how much... Yeah effort and thought must go into that at any given time. I struggle talking to myself in a room by myself, and uh, <laughs> I can't even imagine like a couple hundred people watching me edit a game at the same time. So, 
Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, well, so if, if you want to check any of that out, I'll include links to Elder Dragon Hijinks and Alias V's Twitch uh, in the episode description below. So definitely check it out. Uh, yeah, I would also be nervous to do that, though. I think... Uh, Could you I, imagine? Like, it's nuts. <laughs> and I only ever edit sound and voices, so adding uh, visual editing to that as well, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, that's impressive. And I like this series a lot because it's filmed over uh, Spell Table. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you can have, like, all kinds of guests from all over the world. And like you said, the chemistry is, is really fun to watch. Yeah, it's, so. she does, a, at least she does, both of them do a very good job of just keeping it light and friendly and fun. Yeah. And like, even if you lose, you just kind of come away from the experience just being like, you know, that was like a really nice, nice way to spend a couple hours just jamming some cards, playing with some friends, talking some smack, and then, you know, just doing cool stuff. It's, it's great. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That's, that's what we're all here for, right? We're having mm-hmm. a good time with our friends. Um, and making new friends along the way. So, okay, I think it is time that we get into it. So, uh, yeah, we could just we could just sit here and talk about. I could promote. <laughs> I could promote so many different people and channels. I could be here the, like the uh, whole episode would just be me gushing over people that I like to talk to and watch. Yeah, same. That's that's why we started the community spotlight on the episode. We were like, okay, at least like one person per episode. But um, when we were putting together, I, I have a spreadsheet. Uh, where I track everyone we've talked about and everyone we want to talk about. And mm-hmm. just like putting that spreadsheet together, I was like, okay, I've got like 50 yeah. YouTube channels, podcasts, artists. Uh, yeah, all of these people. So yeah, honestly, oh, I forgot to say, um, we do this because uh, I think the Magic community is one of the best uh, kind of, uh, I want to say kingdom. That's not the right word. Just kind of like a... <laughs> community i guess it's just one of the best i think and uh has so many really cool and yeah awesome people who make fantastic content okay yeah that that's enough of that i think um it's (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about a commander deck so yeah we love to talk about people's commander decks and get kind of the deep dive on their uh experience with it and it's something uh that everyone loves to do you kind of put yourself into your commander decks when you build them so Yeah, uh, first question for you, Andrew. Uh, who is your commander we'll be talking about today? The commander we, well, I chose to talk about today is uh, one a lot of people know, and uh, it's Mistform Ultimus, which originally was Mistform Ultimus, then became Orvar, but has since reverted back to Mistform Ultimus. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm and really so, excited for this. Yeah, it's it was it's been it's been a, a learning experience because blue is probably my least favorite color in Magic. I just. <laughs> I don't like counter spells. I don't like bouncing. Um, I, I'm a I'm a Jund boy at heart. Uh, Rosh has been always my my thing. And when I first really got into standard a long time ago, it was just at the end of Innistrad and then the Return to Ravnica block. And I played Jund with like Liliana of the Veil, Grook Primal Hunter, Bonfire mm. of the Damned, uh, just like all kinds of fun, fun like dragony sacrifice attack kind of stuff. So. That's that's my comfort zone, and uh, I realized when I was making videos and stuff like that that people wanted more variety from my, like, I'd play Krenko, I'd play, like, Gruul, I'd play Jund, I'd play everything but blue, and people wanted me to play a blue deck. So I, I built Mistform under the guise of building a blue deck, but trying to abstain from the things that I don't like blue decks doing. Gotcha. And so it became more of a combat-focused deck as opposed to a control-based deck. 
I really like that. I think that uh, every player has their preferred strategy, and um, sometimes those line up with the colors, but other times they mm-hmm. don't. So, yeah, I think kind of taking uh, taking a color you wouldn't normally play, but kind of changing it so that you're playing you know cards that fit the style that you like. I think that's a really good way to build new yeah. decks. Exactly. It's 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 expanding my comfort zone while at the same time still being true to what I enjoy about magic, which is kind of combo or combat while I avoid stacks and hard control kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah. And I also love that you uh, were kind of pushed to build this deck um, because of content creation. Uh, that's definitely something I recently built a mono white deck, which mm-hmm. uh, before I started making this podcast, I never would have done that <laughs> just because it didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same, same things you were saying about uh, blue, but yeah, now that I have a mono white deck, I actually love it. So <laughs> it's funny how that happens. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And, and thank you for talking about kind of what inspired you to build this deck. Uh, and you mentioned switching it, uh, to Orvar and back. Could you talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about, uh, the deck's history and what changes it's gone through? Yeah, so like the principal nature of, of Mistform is the idea that basically I want to play um, as many lord type creature types as I can, mm. and so that includes like you get you have to pick and choose because unfortunately there's a lot of lords and you you can't just run ninety nine lords and then Mistform obviously so you gotta kind of like gotcha. uh, scale things down, focus on a couple key tribes, and then just kind of uh, go from there. And when Orvar came out, the idea of having a commander who's functionally the same in terms of cost and power and toughness, because both of them are four, with three is colorless and one blue, and then three threes, um, seemed fantastic, especially when it had upside yeah. of basically being able to make tokens of those commanders. But what I found happened was as I was changing Mistform into Orvar, because Orvar requires such specific types of cards like typically you need um instants and sorceries that target in order for orvar's ability to trigger um the elements that i loved about mist form started to get cut and the deck itself mm. became a bit more watered down and the end result was i wasn't playing orvar very well and i wasn't playing my mist form deck really anymore and i just kind of sat there after like four or five games of trying to make this work and i was like why am i doing this this is this isn't really what i want to do and so i've since switched out mistform into like i switched out orvar for mistform again but i have included orvar in the 99 okay and i do have a couple instances and sorceries that target because there were some to begin with in the deck anyway but it's no longer the focus of the deck and it's just kind of gone back to being exact, being what I enjoyed about it, which is kind of just combat-centric blue with a lot of lords, a lot of kind of weird interactions that don't necessarily always come up, and just kind of fun stuff that really um, makes me kind of like... There are different lines in the deck that make me kind of like smile when I get to be able to do them. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Just scrolling through the deck list, it is uh, a very unique... Um, just the set of creatures going on here are, are very unique to this um, type of deck. And yeah, I think it's really cool. And it, it's also kind of an interesting uh, like psychological thing where Orvar is functionally the same, but with this extra ability um, mm-hmm. added on. But 
it, just having that extra ability, even though it's a, an addition, kind of feels like it takes away because you are like pulled into having to like satisfy these conditions. So yeah, I mean, like sometimes having more isn't necessarily better for what you're trying right. to do, and it really goes. It depends on the mindset of what you're trying to do with the, the game. I think Orvar is a great commander. I think I've seen a lot of decks that build him in or build them, I guess, because it's a shapeshifter in such a way that um, you can really capitalize on the token ability. But for me, the the issue was just like, okay, cool, I'm going to make a Lord of Atlantis. Okay, I'm going to make another Lord of Atlantis. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, do I really need this to win? Like, it's an extra plus two, plus two uh, to Mistform and to the other Lords of Atlantis really going to push the deck to be what I want? Mm. Or is it or is it better for me to run like some odd, like Narumeha, or like who pumps wizards, or um, Scion of Scion is the fairy one that gives things shroud and stuff like that. There's just like there's yeah. reasons to to run different cards, and I just I was I found that I lost sight of that as a result of changing it, and just there's no no shade thrown against people who want to play Orvar instead of Mistform, but just for me, for my personal taste and enjoyment, the result was. Uh, a severe lack of enjoyment changing to Orvar, whereas with Mistform, even if I lose nowadays, it's just like, this is fun, this is what I want to do, this is kind of silly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important to kind of uh, just keep the the core of why you first built the deck and why you enjoy it to, yeah, and, and keep that and not change it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and so I have an Orvar deck, uh, but I specifically built it, um, like, with Orvar in mind, and because mm -hmm. I like the the tricksy like instant speed, mm -hmm. making tokens of things, um, but it is a completely different strategy than uh, a creature based um, like Lords and Mistform Ultimates yeah. type of yeah, strategy. Exactly. Cool. That's uh, that's. I think there's a really good lesson out there for a lot of different commanders. Something that I know a lot of people get worried about is if uh, a new commander comes out, and a, a specific example I'm thinking of is. Uh, Go Shintai, the new Shrines mm -hmm. Commander, um, mm -hmm. that is like specifically for this strategy that maybe you've been using another commander for previously. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then you kind of have a decision, like do you switch commanders over to this new one that just came out that might be better? And I think the answer isn't always yes. Like you should, uh, if you like the deck and you like playing it, there's not like you've, no one's making you change to the new new commander. So yeah, yeah I think that's, that's a it. great lesson. Stick to your guns, stick to what you enjoy, be comfortable playing things that you might realize are not optimal or, or as, as good as they could be, and just be be okay with that, I think is a lot of it. And yeah. it's I think you just, without those expectations of always having to play the best and be the best, uh, you can just have a lot more fun with the game and, and with your friends. Yes, I totally agree. I think, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that, that we could get into that a little bit. That's a really good <laughs> uh, topic to discuss. Yeah, okay. And so as far as Mistform Ultimus goes, um, what is your favorite part about playing this deck? Like, what gets you coming back each time? I think people people's reaction to the deck. Because, I mean, like, typically you'll mm. sit down at the table. Um, I don't know how in your meta they do it, but we'll, we'll all sit down and we'll all say, okay, well, we're looking for this kind of game. Probably 45 minutes to an hour is usually what I try and, and ask for, just in the sense that it, it results in the best for filming and also my enjoyment. Anything over feels kind yeah. of like, not a waste of time, but I just feel like I, I'm wondering, I'm like, okay, we could play another game. We could play another game at this point, or like, yeah. this game should be over by now. And uh, so for me, the, 
the part that I like is when we all put our commanders down and then reveal them, um, people were like missed for me. Like, what the heck does that card do? And they look at it and like the only relevant wording on it is that this is this creature is all types except for wall. And so like Mistform's claim to fame is literally not being a wall. That's the only thing right. he has going for it. <laughs> and uh and and people were like, "What?" And it's just like this this dismissive or or intrigue that comes as a result of this of this reveal is usually what kind of like I don't want to say gets me going because that seems kind of inappropriate, but like it's it's the part <laughs> that kind of like it makes me like I'm like I want to show people what the deck can do. And then ideally, by the end of it, even if I lost, they're like, wow, I never saw like a card like that, or I never thought a deck could be like that. And that, for me, is really what uh, what helps make the deck enjoyable in terms of, of replayability and why I keep working on it and tinkering with it and just bringing it back and over and over again. I think that's fantastic. It's, it, it's just such a charming commander. Uh, when you look at it with the original printing, I just love mm -hmm. the line, uh, Mistform Ultimus may attack as though it weren't a wall. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, thanks, great. <laughs> I think it's so funny. And yeah, so I, there's just so much to love about this commander. And yeah, I think I, I would have the same reaction. I'd be like, uh, what is this? I don't, I, I've never seen it and I'm excited to see what what is going on here yeah i i love it let's get into it um so this question uh people listening might have realized this has changed a little bit but we used to ask how the deck uh wins that we're talking about mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh a question i kind of more prefer is what are the goals of this deck because i think sometimes um the goal win isn't always my to goal win. is winning my goal is winning okay always winning. all right perfect no. so. <laughs> but like i mean like like we've been talking about kind of just like doing cool stuff is obviously the forefront of what I want to do with anything mm. but um, I mean ideally the deck will will win through combat that for me is what I want to do with a mono blue deck just because it seems very out of character but there are yeah. combos in the deck like I do run mind over matter and a zombie just as a way to close out a game basically if combat is not a, a viable option either due to board states being too large or not having enough creatures anymore. If a game goes long, it's great to kind of have that silver bullet in the back of your pocket, knowing that, okay, if I draw into this and this, at least I can close out the game if I fight through it. Um, so for the most part, yeah, it's it's really, it's, it's combat first, combo second. Okay. Yeah, and I think that lends itself to the... Uh, 45 minutes to an hour kind of mm -hmm. aim for the, the game is to, uh, yeah, have a combo or two just in case um, yeah. you need to put it together and end the game. So That's it. And like cool. Mono Blue is notoriously not great at, at comboing up specific cards outside of instants and sorceries. So right. having to find uh, Mind Over Matter and Azami is typically just going to be random luck in terms of how much draw I've got going. And so I just kind of have to either get there with combat or or hope that I draw into it basically so it's it's very much up to chance I like that too yeah I I think that's totally I I don't know really what fair means but it, it feels mm -hmm. maybe more fair to kind of uh, rely on the heart of the cards to get your combat. yeah pieces. exactly it's yeah. Me if it's meant to be it's meant to be kind of thing and that's why like if someone counters it I, you can't be upset about it. Like that's just that's how it is. They were ready for it, or they had a piece of, of removal for it, and that's yeah. that's fine. Sweet, I like it. 
Um, yeah, and I'm also kind of looking through some of the combat-focused creatures here, and I love to see uh, Shifting Sliver, which mm-hmm. is sweet. Slivers can't be blocked except by slivers. Yep. So, yeah, I think it's funny to, to have some cards like that that... Uh, it's not a slivers deck, but it also is exactly, a but it still deck. has it has slivers, <laughs> and Mistworm is a sliver, and yeah. it's just like like okay, cool. Yeah, and, and that's kind of one of the things I love about Commander is that sliver card wasn't designed with the intention of like getting all of your random uh, mm-hmm. changelings and things through, as well as slivers. So yeah, just kind of putting these pieces together to uh, create these, these synergies, I think, is really cool. Exactly. So, okay. Uh, now that we've talked about kind of the game plan for the deck, what are some of this deck's weaknesses that you have kind of run into in games and then uh, maybe some ways you've found to help mitigate those weaknesses? So for the most part, the deck, because it is a combat-centric deck, it relies heavily on creatures. So the very few counter spells that I do have are often saved or kept in reserve for mm. board wipes or targeted or mass exile because it's so hard to recover if you've built up this like army of lords and all of a sudden you lose like four or five of them um mist form suddenly does not do as well as as it should and so in order to to maintain that there there does need to be um despite not not being a control deck there does seem to be there does need to be an element of control to it so to mitigate that, I've often found blue is not particularly good at recursion from the graveyard, again, for anything other than instants and sorceries. So I've had to include stuff like Elixir Immortality to shuffle my graveyard back into my library in case I get milled out, as well as uh, Sword of Light and Shadow, which provides Mistform with valuable protection, which first and foremost, white and black has phenomenal spot removal. So obviously this one sword is great for dealing with that. But also, if it connects, I get to return one creature card from my graveyard to my hand. So that means I can bring back one of those valuable lords that I may have lost earlier. I like it. I When I was looking through the deck, um, the Sword of Light and Shadow definitely popped out to me because mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's a really clever inclusion for a mono blue deck. And Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's proven its worth. Um, there there are lines of thought that I've had where I want to include the rest of the swords of of X and Y, but um, again, it, it comes down to what am I trying to do with the deck? Which in this case, not a particularly strong, aggressive, like or expensive deck. So bringing in like feast and famine, uh, fire and ice, yeah. uh, war and peace, while certainly would probably help power up the deck a little bit. Um, will probably result in me having to cut some of my pet cards, which is not really what I want to do at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, I, um, I I totally understand that. I think maintaining your pet cards is a top priority uh, mm-hmm. for me as well. And uh, and one thing I found is I I had a deck for a while that I wanted to play as many of the swords of um, X and Y that I could, mm-hmm. uh, just because I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Um, but what that I the thing that I found was um, the equip two on all these swords actually becomes kind of clunky if you have three or four or more swords out on the battlefield. Yep. So, yep. yeah, I, I actually think that having just one, maybe two swords in a deck is probably, uh, like, good enough. Otherwise, you get too much of a good thing, if that makes sense. That, that's true. I mean, like, and that's why, I mean, one of the inclusions, well, 
not particularly strong in this deck, but still something I wanted to run was the Grand Architect, which is the other blue creatures get plus one plus one, but the critical element of it is that you can tap blue creatures to make two colorless mana that can only be used for artifact spells or abilities. Ooh, so okay. I never really want to attack with the Lords to begin with anyway. Most of the time they just sit back and pump up other things that then get sent into battle. So tapping the Lords to help pay for equipment cost or uh, to cast the equipment has been really, really kind of fun. And it also is a nice outlet to get around stuff like Goad. Because if I'm forced to attack oh. and make really bad attacks into blocks that are people that people are waiting for, blocks that people are waiting for, basically, um, I don't really want to do that. So having a, a tap on command is is nice to have. Yeah, I think that's a really cool way to yeah to kind of protect yourself from those things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and and small um, uh, rant I'll go on for this episode. Uh, <laughs> I recently saw on. Uh, Gavin Verhey's YouTube channel, Good Morning Magic, yep. that they made Goad an evergreen mechanic for uh, for multiplayer formats. Yes, and and yeah, I think that's that's pretty big news. They don't often uh, set mechanics up to be released on new cards that often. So yeah, I, I think uh, my thing on that is that I I do like Goad, but similar to what we were talking about with the swords, I think uh, some decks that are that that have too much Goad can be a little bit of an unfun environment sometimes, especially yeah. when they're playing against decks like this one where you're attacking with uh, maybe fewer, more important creatures. It kind of, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it takes away that choice of, of your combats, which, yeah, here and there, I think it's great. Like, Disrupt Decorum is the uh, goad, like red goad, uh, quote unquote, board wipe, where everything has goad for a round. And I love that card. I think that card is really fun. But just be careful if you're putting all these new goad cards into your decks to uh, not go overboard on them. Yeah. <laughs> or play them against Al. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay, so uh, the next question we've got for you is, um, are there any notable cards in here that you'd like to shout out that fill maybe the more generic roles of a commander deck? Um, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but one of the cards... Well, two cards that I guess I, I would probably love to highlight um, for the most part are Quicksilver Fountain, which is an obnoxious card and a yes. real pain in the butt to track um, and keep and keep in mind. But basically it, it turns you get on each player's upkeep, they have to put a counter onto one of their lands that isn't an island specifically. And when they do, that land is just an island, just like full stop, just like that shuts off Gaia's Cradle, it is now an island, enjoy. So this works in tandem with the Merfolk Lords because they give island walks, so obviously having a way to make islands on the repeat instead of having to run something like Spreading Seas is fantastic, but in the same vein, having to keep track of all that kind of stuff can be a real nuisance. So. It's one of the cards that I'm always on the fence about where I want to potentially cut because it's just does it lead to a funner gameplay experience? That is up in the air, basically. So that's that's basically. I would I would say that's probably the the card I would I would highlight the most as like it fills a very good need for the deck, but at the same yeah. time, do I really want to play this? So <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Um, a, a few episodes ago, we interviewed. Uh, another player in, in my playgroup who has a Jalira deck that mm -hmm. uh, is based around like sea monsters. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the large sea monsters also have uh, Island Walk. 
so so yeah he plays quicksilver fountain in that deck as well and and we've had some absolutely hilarious games where uh, you, you would think once per turn turning a land into an island isn't uh, like it shouldn't be enough to disrupt your mana that much but then when you actually are in a game playing against this it's very disruptive it's sometimes really hard to play around your land slowly turning into islands exactly and it's just it, it shuts off powerful abilities obviously the players get to pick but it, it, like eventually they're going to run out of lands that they can target so yeah. it's it's a, a death by a thousand cuts essentially <laughs> yeah i remember playing against it uh with a five color deck and and mm-hmm. seeing my like rainbow lands and my three color lands slowly turn into just blue lands was devastating yeah. <laughs> and frustrating too which is part of the reason why it's kind of like is this really what i want to be doing but it's proven it's it's proven it's worth time and time again that's fair yeah and it is kind of uh matchup dependent so mm-hmm. um yeah may, maybe that's something that that if you draw it in your opening hand and you kind of look around you're like Maybe this isn't something I want this game, and you can mulligan or something like that. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really fun. It, it's like both a fun and also a, a not fun card in different situations. But I, yeah, I like exactly. to talk about it. Okay, so I, this is one of my favorite questions. Do you have pet cards in this deck, and which ones are they? Um. So that was a good question. I think first and foremost, um, Griffin Canyon is one of the pet cards in the deck it's just this weird visions line that all it does is it untaps a griffin and the griffin gets plus one plus one but i mean for mistworm that's it's a reliable way to pump it or in the absolute worst case you can if you let's say have a zombie out or patron wizard or gilcaster colossus you can tap mistworm to do one of those three abilities and then untap it with the canyon and then do it again or do a different ability so there's like a lot of versatility on one land basically i love this card i i I forgot about its existence but these cards that are just this random creature type griffin i think that's incredible that's Mm -hmm. that's such a fun card and the art is also amazing just it's just a weird weird looking card and it's it's i don't know i'm I'm never (laughs) unhappy to draw it and uh it's just it's it's just it makes me smile. It's a, it's a fun land. It's not particularly overpowered. I'm surprised how expensive it is, but I'm pretty sure that's just like just the case with any kind of card from uh, from Visions or or before. Basically, anything old now seems to have a pretty pretty big price tag. Yeah, yeah. I I think they should reprint this if it's not on the reserve list. I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure. Um, in like a jumpstart or something like mm-hmm. a Griffin's jumpstart pack would be mm-hmm. amazing. So, yeah, I love this. And that's kind of one of the things that brings me a lot of joy in Commander is uh, finding these very old cards that, um, uh, like, have no relation to, like, the new Commander you're building, but that synergize perfectly. I think that's the best. And they're just just odd. Like, it's just these Mm -hmm. odd, when they were designing things initially, not, like you said, giving kind of any real thought to Commander as a format, because that didn't even exist at the time. But just like, just fun kind of magic effects from the past, and uh, yeah. it's just great. It's just it's like it's a it's a neat piece of history. It functions well, so like I really don't know what else you can ask for. Yeah, I totally agree. Similarly, one of the cards that I that I kind of like in this deck, but also don't like because the art creeps me out, is patron okay. patron wizard. 
Okay, um, it creeps you out. <laughs> just a little bit. There's something about it, but I, I, I it's like very, this it's very like realistic looking. But yeah, it, it's I feel like I don't know. There's an actor I'm sure looks kind of like that. I can't think of a name or who it is, but mm. it just the it's just the way it's presented. It looks like it's kind of like Malcolm McDowell looking dude. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So kind of unsettling and yeah, something about that. But I, it's another card that is kind kind of. Uh, from that same era where like accidentally creates a lot of combos which i think is yep. is really fun um to to mess with mm-hmm. um oh yeah and, and this one is um blue 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 for a two two which yeah uh, amazing incredible uh yeah and, and it's it, you tap a wizard to make basically uh your opponent play pay one colorless otherwise the spell's countered yep. and they don't have to have haste i mean you just you just tap a wizard an untapped wizard you control and it it just happens so it's it's really really powerful the turn it comes down because it can tap itself for its own ability oh. and every subsequent wizard that comes out um is that much more valuable okay i like that yeah and you've got a ton of wizards in here oh yeah the two i would say the two main tribes of this deck probably wizards first followed closely by merfolk which also has to have which also happens to have a fairly high number of wizards in it so it's uh it, it synergizes very well with everything basically i'm trying to do yeah i, I think that's great so if you're playing uh maskwood nexus is wizards maybe the most oh, yeah. frequent one that you choose maskwood nexus um is great uh arcane adaptation very similar very very powerful so basically wizards is is the first choice with arcane adaptation followed quickly by Merfolk followed thirdly by probably Slivers, um, just for the evasion that some of the creatures in this deck can grant. But uh, Nexus is is number one. If I have to find an artifact, it's almost mm. always going to be uh, Nexus. Yeah, I, I think that's one of my uh, most favorite recent cards that has had a for pretty sure. big impact on, on Commander as a format, just because... Uh, creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield having a creature every creature type just opens up so many strange possibilities mm-hmm. um, for for decks like this that's awesome so what would you say is the one card that's kind of the mvp of the deck that you love to see in your opening hand um commander's plate probably is the number mm-hmm. one card i will always be happy to see on turn, turn zero or when i draw my opener just because i know it's coming out turn one and the protection and versatility that it gives to um, Misform first and foremost, but literally any other creature in the deck, is incredible. Mostly because I'm playing Mono Blue deck, and so it grants protection from white, red, black, and green for... I think it's... how What's the cost to equip? It's five to equip, so obviously that's not cheap, but it's only three on your commander. So it's it's just... It's a very good protection card, basically. While at the same time making it difficult to block and remove. So all that being said, it's it's a great card. Plus it gives plus three plus three, which turns Mistworm into a six six, which typically with my other lords usually means it's gonna be a two or three connect and you're done on commander damage. I love it. Yeah, that that combined with um, all of the cards that give evasion of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very, very potent. And yeah, and I really like Commander's Plate a lot too. I think I, I would love to see more cards that uh, incentivize playing less colors in your Commander mm-hmm. deck. And this is a perfect example of, of that type of card. Exactly, exactly. Cool. 
Okay, so while playing this deck, which I know you've played this deck a ton, uh, what has been one of your favorite in-game moments that you've had while you've played it? Um, I think there was a recent game where I played uh, one of my, well, I won't call it a local shop because it's a bit far away now, but Wizard's Tower in Ottawa. And uh, mm. it was three tribal decks and a Taralf deck. There was a Tomer had come to town, Budget Commander, who does uh, MTG oh, yeah. Goldfish. And yeah. uh, he was he was in town, so we went to the shop to play a game. He was playing his tribal tribal deck, which is yes. the Ur Dragon, but with like a heavy heavy emphasis on shapeshifters and changelings. And there was an Edgar Markov deck, and uh, the gentleman playing the Edgar Markov deck, true to form with Edgar Markov, it's very aggressive. Um, turn two like Vampire Nocturnus, which was just insane, yeah. and then wow. just beat down after beat down after beat down. Took out the Taralf player after getting Coat of Arms and casting it, and he picked... Well, he didn't pick anything, because it pumps everything based on stuff, but I cast, um, on my subsequent turn, Arcane Adaptation, after having, like, three oh, Master yeah. Waves come out and stuff like that, thanks to clones, and I turned all of my creatures into vampires. And so, like, my horse <laughs> elementals were just like 2121s and I just swung in and he was at like 80 life or something like that and I was just able to knock him out in one combat step and it was deeply satisfying no one was really expecting it we thought we were in so much trouble because there's this vampire player with this massive board tons of life uh, neither of us had particularly huge board states and it just got really out of control very quickly which is just kind of what I like to do in general with EDH where you go big or you go home kind of thing that is incredible. I've I've seen quite a few dangerous coat of arms being played. Oh yes. Um, but against uh, against two decks that have <laughs> shapeshifters in them, that's like ooh, that is a risky card to play in that in that situation. Mm -hmm. That's awesome though. I think um, uh, one other thing that that uh, brings me a lot of joy is taking down any Edgar Markov players. So. I mean, it has a bit of a reputation for being very aggressive yeah. and very good, so I can understand that entirely, but, I mean, it depends on how the person built it. If it's, like, low-curve, fast vampires that just kind of, like, overwhelm, that can be really hard to deal with just because you don't have enough time to sort of stop them, but yeah. um, depending on how they play it, it can it, it doesn't have to be as bad as some people have experienced, so... That's true. That's true. I do think... Uh... If you're able to stabilize um, and play a board wipe, then mm -hmm. yeah, then it's, it's kind of like the typical aggro strategy where you can make them stumble quite a bit doing that. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've made it to the final question, and final. Uh, yeah, final destination. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I'm very interested. So for anyone out there who's interested in building a Mistform Ultimus deck, which is a very unique deck, um, what advice would you give them? Um, I would suggest basically play cards um, that you enjoy playing, first and foremost. Don't fall into the trap of running every blue commander known to, to the Magic the Gathering community, because it doesn't make... You lose out on, on some stuff. I like to play clones quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of value in changelings. Shapesharer is an incredible card that allows you to have tons of versatility because it can make any shapeshifter into a copy of something else until your next turn. Ooh. So, like, if you need to get in for those extra points of damage, you could turn 
Mistform into um, I don't know whatever you need it to be really. Yeah. Uh, it's, and you're not restricted to your own creatures as well. So oh. there's just there's just tons of versatility, and it's till your next turn as well, which is something I think a lot of people forget about. It's not until your end of turn; it's till your next turn. So there are ways where you can just kind of like shut down people's lands or uh, make it so like to fit like copy it to fairy so that they can't cast at instant speed, and just like a lot of fun versatility which might be lost if you focus too much in one direction. So just like keep an open mind. Play stuff that you like, and just enjoy enjoy doing blue things that aren't directly related to like control or stacks or kind of like controlling <laughs> like control, like al- disallowing people from doing things that they want to do. Just kind of like yeah, yeah. roll with what they're doing, and in some ways with clones and stuff like that, maybe try and do what they're doing as well, or if not, do it a little bit better. So. Yeah, I, I think uh, that is one of my favorite things as well um, in blue. I'll, I'll always include at least a Rite of Replication, mm-hmm. uh, if not a couple other uh, Phyrexian metamorphs and things like that. Exactly. Because... Just some great, there's like a great axis of clones. And yeah. the beautiful thing about clones in EDH is they scale perfectly to the power level of the game. It's one of the favorite, one of my favorite things is my buddy Trevor as a Yidris deck, which is. Um, basically everything but white but he's built it in such a way that it is a clone or copy tribal deck Mm. and so what he's going to play changes every game which is in and of itself already very valuable since you never get bored of the same lines over and over again but it also scales to the pod you'll never no one's ever going to accuse you of playing like a hyper aggressive clone deck because the only thing you can clone are what they're playing. So if it's it's kind of like a, yeah. I just like the fact that you're gonna always kind of have that inherent matchup with your opponents without even having to sort of discuss it ahead of time. It's just gonna be a thing that happens with the deck, and it allows for just really kind of dynamic, changeable, re- like unrepeatable kind of games where you're really not too sure how it's gonna go. Everything's gonna be so dependent on what you draw or what they draw. And that's kind of exciting. That's it's it's that unknown element of the game that's really really exemplified in that. So clones for me are really really wonderful cards in that way. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, especially if you are having a game with people you, who you haven't played with before, mm-hmm. um, it's a perfect way to start out uh, to kind of get a feel for how they built their decks and and things yeah. like that. Playing yeah, playing a deck like this that has clones and is better at scaling against your opponents. Yeah, and uh, and if at the very worst, it's just doing more of what you want to do to begin with, which in my case is Lords. Like, all of a sudden, I play Lord of Atlantis. Cool. Next turn, I'll play a Phantasmal Image, copying Lord of Atlantis. Is it super powerful? No, but it's doing what I wanted the deck to do, which is play Lords yeah. and pump creatures. So it's a win-win for me. I love it. Yeah, and it's true, too. I think I like how a lot of these cards you can target your own creatures, so there's always mm-hmm. that kind of uh, backup plan of yeah, mm-hmm. giving yourself more lords and things like that. Um, yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I do think uh, I have played against a couple decks that uh, play more like steal your creatures type of mm-hmm. effects rather than cloning them. And yeah. I, I think the difference might... Like, looking at the cards, it might not seem 
uh, like those are very different. But gameplay wise, I think those are two very different things. And uh, I much prefer the now I have a copy of your Ulamog type of play rather than. I think yeah, I think everyone would agree at the end of the day that you copying what they have feels better than you stealing what they have. Because I think people, yeah. as much as they'll deny it, no one wants to have their best cards taken. Um, you put those cards in the deck because you want to play them. And while I don't necessarily fault the person for taking them, oftentimes you could be kind of like, oh, well, that stinks. Like, I, I really want yeah, to cast yeah. that. <laughs> Whereas this way they get to cast it and then you get to cast it as well. And then everyone's yeah. happy. Everyone, everyone's winning. <laughs> everyone's invited to the party and we all get Exactly. To everyone's going to have a good time. <laughs> And if you happen to do it, and your Ulamog also happens to now be a merfolk all of a sudden with Island Walk, well, that's that's, <laughs> belie- that's better for you, basically. Yeah, that's amazing. I've had a fantastic time talking about this Me deck. too. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, before we kind of wrap things up, are there any uh, uh, plugs you'd like to throw in for your content or anything else like that? I mean, uh, if you want to find me, you can you can check out Twitter. Uh, I'm, at, I'm basically all of my social medias is MTG Mudsta, so the, the, the stupid way that I named the channel. But basically, if you look on, on any platform, uh, if it's there, uh, usually it's me. I don't think I'm on. I'm not super active on Facebook or Instagram, but uh, those are they're definitely around. And and yeah, just you can find me every Monday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, posted games. I love it. That's perfect. And yeah, and we'll have links to all of those down in the episode description below. So yeah, definitely check out Andrew's work and content and all that stuff. Yeah. And if you want to get in touch with me or anyone else in the Fairy Conclave, we have a Discord, an Instagram, and a Twitter. And we're also currently, uh, with the release of this episode, doing a giveaway on Twitter for nice. um, a Boseju, which is a pretty big uh, big card lately. So That's a good card. Yeah, very excited to give one of those away to to someone on Twitter. And also a Renin 7, a borderless Renin 7. Excited about Ooh. that, too. So, yeah, just check those out. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. We were like, these are two cards we want to give away, and they were both green, so we just decided to make it like a, a green giveaway situation. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I think that is all for today. So thank you all for joining us, and we will catch you all next time.